0: Thank you for joining us today. At Res Life, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good evening. How's everybody tonight? All right. Well, I'm really excited to get to share a little bit on the subject of faith with you tonight. Uh, we did several weeks in, in the morning services, and of course, uh, I never get done, so uh, I was looking for an opportunity to uh, share some more. so just to kind of just lay a little bit of groundwork, Romans ten verse seventeen says, "So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing." by the word of God or the word about Christ, about what Jesus has done for us. So we need to hear, not just with our physical ear, but we need to hear with our spiritual ear. Jesus again and again said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said, when the son of man returns, will he even find faith on the earth? Jesus was telling us a couple of things. First of all, God's looking for faith. What moves God is not our situation in one sense, because God already moved because of our situation. God sent Jesus because of our situation. But for God to move again, we need to move first and we need to move by faith. We need to connect with God by faith. It's almost like playing checkers. Now, if I move, then it's your move. And after you move, it's my move. And then it's your move again. See, we moved away from God. That was our move. God sent Jesus and reconciled the world to himself. That was God's move. And God gave us these exceeding great and precious promises. Now we connect with those by faith. And then God responds. So faith is absolutely necessary. It's what God is looking for. Jesus, excuse me. Hebrews 11, verse six says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We cannot connect with God. We cannot receive with God except through faith. In Romans 4 and verse 20 says, No unbelief made him, that's Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, it's true about Abraham. He didn't start out with strong faith. But he grew in his faith until his faith became strong. And the way that he did it was by giving glory to God. He was thanking God for what he had promised. He was acknowledging God for who he was. I think it's interesting that in the Psalms, Psalms 100, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Uh, If you are going to see the president, there are certain protocols. They're going to sit down and talk to you and you say, you do this, you do that. You don't do this, you don't do that. You're going to go see royalty. any, Any country in the world, there's protocol. But when we come to God, there's protocol. The Bible says we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You want to enter into God's presence? There's a protocol. There's a way that we do it. Right, And thanksgiving is part of the way we come to God. In Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul is is dealing with how people respond to God. The King James says it this way. Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful that they weren't following protocol, so to speak, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkening, professing to be wise They became fools. Now, notice it says that when we don't acknowledge God as God, I know some people think it's a small thing that we no longer have prayer in our schools. But do you know just that little bit of acknowledging that God is God makes a huge difference on the inside? It says, first of all, that they became futile in their thoughts and their hearts were darkened. In other words, when a person becomes darkened in their heart, they really don't understand what's right and what's wrong. The prophet Isaiah said it like this. Those who woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He said people can get totally messed up in their thinking. Another translation says it this way. They knew God, but didn't praise God did not praise and thank him for being God. Instead, their, heart, their, their thoughts were pointless and their misguided minds were plunged into darkness. When we do not acknowledge God and we are not thankful to God, uh, it, it has an effect on our understanding of right and wrong. In fact, I'd like to just say this, that I believe that the greatest mental health agent is thankfulness thankfulness to God we don't become futile in our thoughts our hearts don't become darkened in fact even coming to God when we come in petition it says this in Philippians four in verse six it says be anxious for nothing one translation says don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God so when we're coming to God how many of have ever asked God for something All right. Now, it says to do it with thanksgiving. And some people say, well, you're just supposed to thank God when you say amen at the end that God heard your prayer. Now, that may be part of what this verse is talking about. But I believe the main thing that it's talking about is being thankful for what we already have. Okay, if your car is seven years old and has 150,000 miles on it, if you're not thankful for the car you have, you are not going to be thankful for a new car. And if you're not ha- thankful living in an apartment, you won't be thankful in your own house. Right? If we come to God and we're already thankful for where we are, right, that prepares us to receive from God. Right? And that gives us the right attitude uh, when it comes to God. When, when you come to God and you're upset about where you are, kind of like, God, you're taking care of me in a really bad way. How many of you know God is not like, oh, I want to take care of them." It, it's, it's like if you give one of your kids a present and they look at it and go. Pfft. How many of you know you're not like, what else can I get them? <laughs> right. But when we go to God and we're asking God, we're we're petitioning God, we need to be thankful for what we already have. There are so many people who would be so glad to have what you think of as not being very good, as being insufficient. And when we're thankful for what we have, we're going to be thankful when God does more, when God blesses us even to a greater degree. In Ezra 3, in verse 10... Uh, this this has spoken to me so many times. Now they're, they're building the temple, and it's been it's been a long hard road to get where they're at. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Aphath with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David the king of Israel, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He's good, for His mercy endures. Forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. And when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. Now they did not wait until the temple was finished. All they did was put down the foundation. And when they put down the foundation, the Bible says they began to praise, they began to thank God, they began to shout their thanksgiving. Now, they didn't have everything that was going to happen. They just had the foundation. And so often people, well, here's what we should do. When we're praying for something, we're believing for something, and just the first little bit shows up. You're praying for healing, and you're 10% better, you should be shouting. You should be shouting. You're praying for a breakthrough, and you just get a little bit of that breakthrough, start to shout. Start to praise God. Start to be thankful to the Lord. Because when that happens, literally, I've said this before, thanksgiving produces faith and faith produces thanksgiving. It's a sign that we believe God that more is coming. I think so often Jesus heals 10 lepers and we're like the nine that didn't even come back and say thank you. We we need to have that thankful, thankful heart. And again, David said, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. He's he's saying, when I begin to thank God, I begin to see God for who he really is, that he is all powerful, that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Now, I wanted to take just a moment and talk about misplaced faith. Right now, there's a lot of ways that we can misplace our faith. Um, somebody might even call it counterfeit faith. I don't think it's counterfeit as much as it's misplaced. But one of the ways that we can do that is by having faith in a person instead of in God. Faith in a person instead of God. Uh, If I could just get to Benny Hinn and have Benny pray for me, or if I could just get to Joyce Myers and we're looking to a person instead of looking to God, anything that's supernatural that comes to us, it all comes because of the atoning work of Christ. And we need to be looking to him. Now, God may use an individual, and I am not at all insinuating that he does not, but we need to be looking beyond the person, and we need to be looking to God. We need to be looking to the redemption that we've had or we have in Christ. In uh, Matthew 8, it says when evening come, they brought in many who were demon possessed. He cast out the spirit with a word. He healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Right? He forgives all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. Now, God may use somebody, but we've got to be looking to God and not to a person. And whenever we're looking to a person, we have misplaced our faith. Our faith needs to be in God and what he's done through for us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When the children of Israel come to the promised land, they send in the 12 spies. They come back. Ten of them give the bad report. The people say it would be better to die in the desert. Why have you brought us here? And God said, now go back in the desert. And in Numbers 14, verse 44, it says, but they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. In other words, God said, go back, go back out into the desert. And they said, oh, God, we we really want to go over here. We want to do this. And the Bible doesn't say that they moved in faith. It says they presumed. See, and a lot of times what people do is it's presumption. Right. It says that the enemy attacked them. And drove them back. But they presumed. It wasn't faith. It was presumption. And a lot of times people think God said something. But God didn't really say something. And they go and they're. Is it amazing to you all the stuff that God gets blamed for? That God did not do. And God did not tell somebody to do. But they presume. It's presumption. And it's not faith. Faith is always. A response to what God has already said. It's believing what he said. All right. Faith is not deciding, well, this is what I'm going to do in the name of the Lord. It's presumption. We need to be doing what the Lord has told us. And then there's misplaced faith. And I'm going to call it again misplaced. When we place our faith in ourselves. It says in Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Hey, Jeannie, could you have somebody run my Bible up here a second? I, I just had a thought about this, and I, I want to read a, a portion of Scripture. Um, as, as most of you know, Jeannie and I lived in Mexico for seven years, and uh, when we first moved to Mexico, we uh, started a small church. Uh, we rented a building. Um, we named our, our little church Maranatha. And uh, I was not only the pastor. I was the custodian. I, I was the maintenance man. I mean, I cleaned the bathrooms. I opened the doors. I cut the grass. I did everything. Right? And I remember one day, this was uh, in Guadalajara, Mexico. It was May. It was right before rainy season. And it gets hot. I mean, it's like 90, 95 degrees. And I'm cutting the grass out in front of church and I'm, I'm weeding the flower, which were actually banana. They were banana trees, you know. And I'm weeding in there and I'm cutting the grass. Now, it's a push more. Okay. It's 95 degrees. I'm getting hot. So I, I take off my shirt, you know, and I'm sweating and I've got grass over here and I got dirt over there. And, and uh, there's this couple comes walking down sidewalk and uh, they stopped right in front of the church and uh, they see the name Maranatha and they said, is is this a Christian place? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Christians. And then they they said to me, they said, well, we love God. And I said, we love God too. And and they said, "Well, we're holy. And I said, well, we're holy too. (laughs) I'm, I'm, you know, the Bible, Second Corinthians 517. verse 21 says that he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And I I, I kind of noticed uh, he's got black shoes on. He's got black pants. He's got a white shirt. He's got a black blazer on. His wife has got black shoes on. She's got black skirt that goes all the way down like an inch from the from the ground, she's got on a a white shirt and either a black or a gray, like blazer thing And her hair. There was the her hair. Her hair was wrapped up like this and it just kept going up, you know, and uh, I I noticed, you you know, that. She didn't have on any makeup. You know, and and she didn't have on any jewelry and, and and you don't need to wear makeup. But this one pastor said years ago, he says, you know, if, if the barn barn needs painting, paint it, you know, but she just could use help. That was all. That's all I'm saying. All right. Is that she could use a little bit of help. All right. So so they said they're holy. And I said, well, I'm holy, too. And he says to me, he says, no. He said, we are really holy. He said, uh, We do not go to movies. We do not watch television. We do not drink. We do not smoke. We do not wear bright colors. He says, we do not use jewelry or makeup. And our women never cut their hair. We are holy. He turned around and took off. Listen to this. Isaiah 65. Who say, keep to yourself. Don't come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils and a fire that burns all day. How many have ever read the book of Job? Some people haven't read it because they think it's the book of Job, but it's not. It's the book of Job. (laughs) All right. And and, and I, I know a lot of people that will read this book and, and kind of like when they're done, they're like, I don't even know exactly what God said. I don't really get the book. All right. So I'm going to read to you just a little bit. Now there's actually two chapters in the book where Job talks about how good he is. Right. In fact, God, Job says, you know what? He said at one point, Job actually says, I am more righteous than God. So God shows up and this is what God says. This is chapter 40. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse your rage, the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone is proud and humble him. Look on everyone is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. And listen, here's the key verse. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. God says, I will admit to you that your good works can save you if you can do all these things, which nobody can do. You see, Job thought that his goodness, all the good things that he did. And if you read the list of good things that he did, you think this guy was amazing. He was really good. But God said, look, all of your goodness is like filthy rags. All of your goodness will not save you. And God said to him, if, if you can do all this stuff, then I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. See, Job had misplaced faith. It's interesting when he's making sacrifices in the beginning. The Bible says he made sacrifice for all of his children, but he didn't make a sacrifice for himself. He didn't figure he needed one. He thought he was good enough. You know, and when we think our holiness and our righteousness makes us right before God we're as messed up as Job, It's misplaced faith, misplaced faith. And then let me just say another type of misplaced faith is where we do something out of duty instead of out of love, instead of out of to please God. We're trying to earn something by doing it. I think a great example of this is simply the tithe. You know, it says in Malachi, Chapter three in verse 10 it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me now. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there will be not be room enough to receive it. Some people give their tithe out of a duty. I've got to do this. Right? That's misplaced faith. When I do this, then God's got to do that. See, we, we sow because we love God. And we sow in faith, believing, yeah, God's going, to, God's going to bless us. But we don't do it as a duty. It's not a have to, it's a get to. In fact, everything in the kingdom of God should be a get to and not a have to. You, know, uh, you can ask the people that hang around me. I never say I have to preach. It's always I get to preach. It's not that I have to do something for the kingdom. I get to to do something, right? We do it because we love God. We do it in faith. We don't do it as a duty, as an obligation to earn something, but we do it out of love and in faith. And when we do it out of love and in faith, there is a response that God brings to us, right? So we need to be doing something in faith because of our love for God and our belief in his word, right? Uh, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, uh, that, well, 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 they've arrived in the, the area of Macedonia as a result of a vision that Paul had. And in the, the night he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And they get there and Paul is preaching. And the Bible says there's a woman who has a spirit of divination. Right? now, We would say a fortune-telling spirit. Um, And by the way, in the Greek, it actually says that she has a python spirit, right? Which really kind of points to what Satan always wants to do. You know, he wants to kill, steal and destroy, right? And what Satan would like to do is to wrap himself around you like a python and squeeze the life right out of you. But this girl was following them and shouting and saying, these men are servants of the most high God. And they show you, most translations say, the way of salvation. There's a couple that say a way of salvation. But at one point, Paul turns around and says to the spirit, not the girl, but the spirit, and says, I adjure you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And he came out. Well, once that happened, this girl lost the ability to know things supernaturally. She couldn't tell fortunes anymore. Well, the owners bring Paul and Silas before the judges. They're whipped. They're thrown in prison. In fact, the Bible says that they took their hands and their feet and they put them in stocks. Their backs are bleeding. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're praising God. They're worshiping God. They're thanking God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, here's what they did. They whipped them. They put them in a dungeon. They bound their feet. They bound their hands. But they missed it because they should have duct taped their mouth. Because they left the believer's weapon intact. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The Bible says we have the same, the identical spirit of faith. According to what's written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. And when they begin to praise God, something supernatural happened. Yeah, it's easy to praise God when the temple's finished, when the walls have fallen, when the giant's dead, when all the pain is gone. But the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 15, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Now, the sacrifice of praise is when you don't feel like it. There's sometimes it's just easy. I mean, you know, sometimes it's easy to shout. But there's other times you look at the situation and it's not easy to shout. That's the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. So what they did, they began to give that sacrifice of praise. And when they begin to praise God as an act of faith, God moved in their situation. God's word is supposed to be in our mouth. As Jesus is facing Satan in the desert, uh, this is found in in a couple of places, but it's found in Matthew chapter 4. You know, Satan comes, and Satan said, and then Jesus said, and by the way, Jesus said, it is written. And then Satan said, and then Jesus said, it is written. And then Satan said, and then Jesus said, it is written written. So there's really a war going on. And the weapons of the war are words. And Jesus is using the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But now here's here's what I want you to catch about this. One of the things Jesus said to Satan was this. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus said every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So your Bible was first spoken. Then your Bible was written. And it's written so that you can speak it. It's written so you and I know what to say. It's written to give us ammunition when we're facing giants, situations, problems, the devil, we need to begin to say something. Again, the Bible says, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. There is no overcoming victory without you and I agreeing with what God says. There's got to be the word of our testimony. Our testimony needs to agree with what God said about us. That's why the Bible says in Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 that the human communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You need to begin to recognize and acknowledge and to say the things that belong to you in Christ. Remember we talked about it this morning. You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness Colossians 1 13 into the kingdom of the son of his love and currency in that kingdom is faith. Faith in God's word spoken faith in that word. Many, many Christians do not have victory because they do not dare to make a bold confession of who they are in Christ. Because you are who God says you are. You have what God says that you have, and you can do what God says that you can do. Now, if you've got dead faith, you've got to carry that thing. But when you've got living faith, it will carry you. A living faith will carry you through. In the acts of God, as you look in your Bible, they're always precipitated by acts of faith. You find acts of God and you will look first and you will find an act of faith. We need to begin to say what God says and act on God's word. Um, Just this week, uh, I had the the opportunity to speak at a leader's conference in Battle Creek, a pastor's conference. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned to them is that faith is a team sport. Not that. Faith is a team sport. And, and you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that it's not just supposed to be you all alone. Right? Now, when we talk about King David, what's the most famous thing that King David ever did? He killed Goliath. Absolutely right. I mean, there are, people know that story, don't even know it's in the Bible. But they know about David killing the giant Goliath. We've all heard about David killing Goliath. But most people don't know about the giant that David couldn't kill. The giant that almost killed David. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 21. It says, Then IshbibiNab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his rescue, and struck the Philistine and killed him. Now, the Bible says David became weary. He was tired. You see, there's days when you'll be able to kill all the giants that show up. But there's other days when the giant will kill you if you're all alone. You need... Faith was not supposed to be... The Christian life was not supposed to be lived alone. I, I love what it says here in Mark's Gospel, second chapter. It says... Then they came to him bearing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So this guy had four crazy faith friends. Right? I want to recommend everybody have a minimum of four crazy faith friends. Right? So that when you get alone and that giant thinks you're, you, you, you know, he can take you out and you're tired, you got friends that show up and help you. Now the Bible says that Abishai, came and saved David. By the way, the Bible says that David had 30 mighty men. Abishai was just one of the 30. He had 30 people watching his back. He had 30 people fighting with him. He had 30 people believing with him. And we need to have some people believing with us. We, We cannot live the life alone because there's days you'll kill the giant. There's other days you're weary. There's other days the giant's coming from behind you. See, and you need some help and we need to recognize everybody needs a minimum of four crazy faith friends who believe God when things seem to be impossible, who will stand with you. One more thought before we close. Acts chapter 27, verse 25, therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just As he told me now they're in a hurricane and for 14 days, nobody's seen the sun, the moon or the stars and everybody's pretty much given up and Paul separates himself and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Paul, take heart. He says, because you're going to shipwreck and the ship is going to be lost, but you're going to be saved. And God is granting you the life of everybody who's traveling with you. How many of you ever heard somebody say, hey, I'm afraid of flying because what if it's the pilot's time when I'm up there? Is their time to go? Well, they're traveling with you. That's what the angel said. He said, God's granted you the life of everybody who's traveling with you. You're not with them. They're with you. All right. But so the angel said, you're going to shipwreck. He said, everybody's going to get to shore safe. And God, Paul went out and said, this is what the angel of the Lord said. He said, therefore, take heart, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. Here's the principle. You need to say, "How put the, the word that God speaks to you must be spoken through you. The word that God speaks to you must be spoken through you. Paul heard that word, but he spoke that word. He spoke that word. And when God speaks a word to you, it needs to be spoken through you. Let me close with this. Reinhardt Bonkey. How many know who Reinhardt is? Yeah. Right. Well, was Brian? He is. He's in heaven. Right. All right. Tremendous evangelist. Um, around the world but particularly in Africa. He said God spoke this to him and said, "My word in your mouth is just as powerful as my word in my mouth." It's God's word. It's God's word. And by the way, the Bible says in the Psalms that the angels, they hearken to the voice of his word. They hearken the voice of his word when you speak that word angelic activity begins when you speak that word they hearken to the voice of his word and the word that god speaks to you must be spoken through you say would you bow your heads for just a moment I I never want to simply assume that everybody's where they should be with God. In a group of this size, I believe there's people that you've served God for 50 years. But there's other people that you're away from God. There's others you don't know where you stand with God. The Bible says we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. Think about it. A lot of people hope they're going to heaven. You say, are you a Christian? They say, I'm trying to be. Do you know what's going to happen when you die? Well, I, I hope, I hope, I hope. But the Bible says that you may know that you have everlasting life. You see, the truth is this. If you do not know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're a part of his kingdom, that you're on your way to heaven, then you're just not where you should be with God. You need to know. So I'm going to ask everybody, if, if you can, to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. Jesus is my Lord, my King, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.